We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture and pop culture through the lens of Judaism. As always, we're your hosts. It's me, uh, Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Woohoo! And I'm Rabbi Michael Nah. And if you couldn't tell by our terrible, terrible impressions, we are talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Peaches, 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 peaches. Mike, besides that Jack Black song that slaps, what happened in this movie? Oh, man. Okay, so first of all, uh, the terrible impression, I think, is actually a a good homage to this movie uh, because at some point we're going to have to talk about the Chris Pratt of it all. Uh, but uh, this is a uh, the second attempt at a major motion picture adaptation of the mega successful groundbreaking video game franchise, the Super Mario Brothers. Uh, and this time it is uh, animated by the same studio that brought you uh, Despicable Me and Minions that uh, if you have children of a certain age, you absolutely cannot escape despite uh, whether or not you may want to. Uh, and this movie is definitely in the vein of that style of animation and that kind of humor. Um, if you are unfamiliar with the video game franchise uh, or or unfamiliar with uh, the movie, uh, it features uh, brothers, uh, Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario, I guess, because they are the <laughs> Super Mario brothers. One's named Mario, one's named Luigi. Uh, Luigi, I think, is the little brother. He's taller than Mario. It's a thing. They apparently have a family, which we learn in this movie. Uh, and they are uh, a couple of plumbers uh, in Brooklyn uh, who uh, who we learn, one of whom has an aversion to mushrooms that's going to play a role later in the story. Uh, they, in the course of trying to save Brooklyn from a plumbing disaster uh, get sucked down uh, a uh, rabbit hole of pipes into the mushroom kingdom a fantastical world filled with you guessed it uh, mushrooms of all sorts and mushroom people uh, like the lovable toadstool toad played by keegan michael key Uh, mario by the way played by chris pratt divisively uh, and uh, luigi played by the delightful always delightful charlie day Uh, and uh, uh, and the Mushroom Kingdom is under threat by the uh, mega king of the Koopas, Bowser, who is played by Jack Black, having the absolute time of his life playing this role. Love Jack Black. Love him in this role. Uh, and uh, he is uh, threatening to conquer the Mushroom Kingdom in his quest for domination of all of the kingdoms of this multiverse, universe, whatever, uh, and also to uh, marry uh, the princess Peaches, uh, who or Peach, who he uh, is infatuated with, uh, as uh, the song that you just uh, sang. Lo- uh, love makes you do crazy things. Love makes you do crazy things. And Mario uh, falls into this kingdom. Luigi is captured by captured by King Koopa. Mario is on a quest to save his brother Luigi. And as he links up with Princess Peach, 
learns that he is needed. Uh, he is the chosen one, essentially, uh, who is, uh, is, is the only one capable of helping them uh, save the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, all sorts of Nintendo, Mario Brothers, Easter eggs, uh, and uh, and cameos uh, ensue. There is a link up with Donkey Kong. There is a Mario Kart sequence. Uh, there is uh, a, a castle sequence. Uh, all of the things that you may know and love or not from these video games uh, end up in one way or another in this movie. There is Donkey Refer Kong. There, there, there are references to the original game, which is just sort of, they're just running and constantly like they're not moving. It's just the... the, the uh... The, the background is moving and they're right, just right. They're hitting blocks and jumping. That's right. Uh, so, um, and uh, there is a uh, delightful Donkey Kong played by Seth Rogen. Uh, really lots uh, to see in this movie. Lots going on. Jesse, let's get into it all. What did you think of the Super Mario Brothers movie? And I guess maybe more importantly, what did your kids think of the Super Mario Brothers movie? Yeah, I like you, Mike, uh, over Passover, took my kids to see it. Um, you know, with, with, with macaroons in, in, in tow in the movie theater. Uh, my kids loved it. I had no idea what was going on in the plot because it was a silly plot. Um, I liked it because I grew up playing Mario, right? I, I had, uh, I actually had the bootleg Mario Brothers game for NES, which was before they were the Super Mario Brothers and the Mario Brothers. Uh, back when their overalls were just white. Um, and, you know, I, had, I remember that we traded some guy in the parking lot of Caldors, which is now an out-of-business department store, to get a used copy of Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember when The Wizard came out and the, the, the game was introduced in that movie with, and everybody went crazy. Um, so we were, we were diehards. Uh, you know, when we got N64 just so we could play Super Mario World. Um, and I, I loved the references. I loved the Easter eggs to different games and different worlds that Mario and Luigi were a part of. Um, right. There was a flashback just so they could do like the kid Mario, which was, I think, from like Mario Paper. I, I think that was a reference to uh, the the ghost of Luigi what was from like Luigi in the Haunted Mansion or whatever that was called. But if you didn't play the games, then you had no idea what was going on. It was just a silly movie. Uh, yet, it was a silly movie that audiences seem to love. A 96% uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes compared to a 58% uh, critics review. Um, and it dominated the, the, the box office. Um, right? It, it, that that it uh, opens domestically with a $185 million opening, um, which is huge. Um, I think it's the largest comic book, uh, the, the largest um, video game adaption movie ever. Mike, what did you think of the movie? Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. Like, like you, I grew up playing super Mario brothers. Uh, you know, I got a classic NES um, I don't know, maybe when I was like seven for Hanukkah uh, and, you know, played it nonstop. 
uh, and, you know, uh, was always game for the next Mario installment. Although I think my Mario, like you, my Mario expertise kind of maxed out at uh, Mario Kart on N64 and Super Smash Brothers, which there was oh, some great Smash to. Brothers reference. Uh, there's some Smash Brothers references in, in this. Um, and, and so I, I grew up playing these video games. Uh, my kids now, uh, we have a, a, one of those NES sim simulators, uh, emulators in our, in our home. Um, so the only Mario brothers our kids know and play, uh, are the classic NES Mario brothers and they know and love them. Uh, so my kids absolutely loved this movie. I really enjoyed this movie. It was a fun way to spend an afternoon. Uh, it was, it was light and it was breezy. The, it was, it was funny. None of the jokes were really, you know, uh, like real knee slappers. They were all in a lot of ways, like jokes of acknowledgement, uh, that like, I recognize that thing. Haha, ha, what a clever, uh, joke. You know, sometimes every now and again, like Easter eggs where they had to be like, Hey, look, it's an Easter egg. Right. Uh, and you know, uh, and anytime Jack Black was on the screen, love that. Uh, it was, it was great. Uh, you know, some great voice work, some, uh, questionable, uh, voice choices. I, uh, I, I'm 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 really still not sure uh, uh, what Chris Pratt was uh, was was brought in to do in this movie or what he was trying to accomplish in this movie. Um, right. and, it wasn't so, even Chris Pratt's voice; it was Chris Pratt trying to do. I don't even know if it was an Italian accent. It was like it was like, like a Brooklyn, Brooklyn Italian accent, accent yeah. kind of, but like also sort of like just a tinge of it with mostly Middle America, but also you know getting in some of the wahoos and it's a me's, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm not so sure uh, about about all of that. Um, you know, we we talked a, a few weeks ago about another video game adaptation that that just came out, The Last of Us. I never played the video game, The Last of Us, um, but from from all reports, that is a you know model of what a video game adaptation you know could be. Um, and this is in in a lot of ways a very very faithful, slavish almost adaptation of the video game uh, onto the screen, taking really not a lot of creative liberties with the source material, other than a couple of things that I, I you know, I, I, I still uh, have a lot of questions about. You know, for example, uh, uh, it was never my impression in the video games that Mario ate the mushrooms to gain his uh, uh, big power up. Um, uh, and in the movie, that is how he gains the big power. Um, well, he, what, what did he do? He, he like touched the mushrooms. He touched them. Yeah. I don't know exactly what he did. Does he eat? And in the game, like, is he eating the flowers? It looks like they just touched the flowers. Why do they just touch the flowers and not eat the flowers? What about the leaves that make him the raccoon? It's just, it's all just kind of weird to me. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, one questionable choice. The other is, uh, and and I get that for, from a story perspective, they maybe had to had, had to do this. Uh, but Mario was on a you know hunt to save Luigi, uh, whereas in the video games, at least the original video games, uh, he was on a hunt to save the princess, the princess, who was you know always in another castle, right? So well, well, um, well now the princess right and, and is is pretty self sufficient, and she can take care and protect herself, and she's the one almost like like a, a Morpheus. Uh, type of role is, is training the the neo that is Mario. Right, but why does she need him? This is the question that I was asking in the movie. Like, it seems like the princess, the Peach, was pretty capable of accomplishing what she wanted to accomplish without the help of Mario at all. Right. It's 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 Bowser. I don't think she did. Bowser ended up becoming threatened by him, thinking that he was uh, diverting his opportunity to uh, force 
Princess Peach in, into a, a marriage that she did not want to be a part of. Um, uh, but but that's a that's a that's a good point. I, I it certainly got uh, two things. One, I, I thought that at different iterations of Mario, at first uh, Bowser was King Koopa, and then he became Bowser. They, they sort of incorporated the two together yes. rather than two separate. Now he is now he is uh, King of the Koopas. Right, Bowser yeah. King of the Koopas. Similarly, uh, before she was Peach, she was Princess Toadstool, right. and now right she she was Princess Peach of the the, the Mushroom Kingdom. Um, and I think that those vibed well, although there are other princesses in other Mario uh, entities. Uh, Daisy, I think, is one of the princesses. We, we haven't met her. Uh, there are sequels that to come, clearly. Uh, uh, cle clearly, there are going to be. See, if, if, if you loved this, congratulations. There are going to be sequels galore. There's no stopping this now. Um, and if you didn't love it, get just buckle up because you're, this is going to be inescapable for probably the next decade at least. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, yeah. There, there were also sort of Wizard of Oz vibes. Well, sure, yeah. The Alice in Wonderland vibes. These are, you know, uh, this is all very much Joseph Campbell, you know, Hero's Journey, uh, um, Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, uh, uh, you know, very much uh, uh, tropes present in, in this uh, narrative, in this storytelling. Which, which is both why I think it works from an audience perspective. I think that it, um, that it's satisfying as a story. It like taps into our sort of like collective, uh, sense of what a hero story is supposed to be. The story kind of just works on a story level. It's an enjoyable way of spending it. It hits the beats that you want it to hit. It hits the laugh lines that you want it to hit. Um, and I also can see why, from a critical perspective, it would not be very satisfying. It's also why I don't love the Rotten Tomatoes algorithm, because, you know, a, a Rotten Tomatoes algorithm might take a, you know, B minus review and give it a, you know, a, a sort of like lower percentage score and bring down the overall critical percentage. Whereas the, the critic who gives it a B minus or a B is not necessarily saying, like, this is a bad movie, don't go to see it. Um, uh, you know, so we could have a whole uh, episode just on my beef with the way Rotten Tomatoes uh, scores things and steers people away to, you know, to or from uh, uh, movies. Uh, so I, I don't think the dichotomy that's that's set up in that uh, that that uh, system is is re really reflects the reality of both how critics and how audiences viewed this movie. Um, and I think that audiences probably if you were to ask them. They probably felt like if, if you were to like push them on their like, you know, could you could you tell us like, did you have any problems with the movie? My guess is that audiences would say, but if you just go on Rotten Tomatoes and say like, I give this 100 percent, you know, uh, if you but they just don't interrogate it more. So that's my problem with that. You know, I don't think that the dichotomy is actually as stark as it might seem uh, if you just look at it on the percentages on the website. Well, I think that's a, that's worth talking about for a moment, Mike. Uh, the this relationship between critic reviews and audience reviews um, twofold, right? We we see this. I know that you did not want to talk about um, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. You were not a fan. Similarly, that no, got I'm happy to talk about it. I just wouldn't <laughs> say the things that you wish I said about. But but similarly, that got a 47 percent uh, critics review on Rotten Tomatoes uh, and 83 percent audience score. Uh, are we you know are we overthinking? movies uh right does every movie need to be uh the, these you know with the expansion of streaming 
and allowing us to, to have more critical movies, right? Have we forgotten that some audiences just want to go and have a, a good time for an hour and a half? Um, we, we've had a pretty rough few years living through the pandemic, uh, emotionally speaking, right? That, that do, do people just want to go to a movie, to theater, to go in a magical world to lose themselves for an hour and a half. And it doesn't need to be an Oscar worthy movie. It just needs to be silly and fun. And is that okay? And I think one thing that, that's, um, that production companies have forgotten as they've expanded, you know, through streaming, they've forgotten the, the importance of the kid movie, the family friendly movie, which I think uh, Super Mario Brothers movie really tapped into the importance of focusing experiences based on, on the family. Um, this is something that in some ways Jewish communities are critical of uh, or, or the, the feedback that we've received uh, that some Jewish communities only focus on the family and only focus on kids and only focus on pediatric Jewish experiences. So much so that when a child turns 13 post Bene Mitzvah and the family often wonders what is for me, once a, an adult becomes an empty nester, they think is the synagogue still for me. But at the same time, there are plenty of uh, synagogues that, that don't focus on that, right? W without bringing in young children, without bringing in, children without bringing in families uh you, you don't have the access to the hebrew uh, calendar and to the jewish life cycle experiences that guide our lives yeah i i think it's it's a it's a complicated question you know i, I think as long as there have been movies there have been divides between uh you know what critics think of movies and how critics talk about movies, uh, and uh, and and what audiences uh, think uh, about movies and how they talk about movies. I think that's just the nature of of the beast. Right? We talked the, uh, a few weeks ago about the history of the world part two, uh, and uh, one of the first sequences of history of the world part one uh, is the invention of art. Right? It's a caveman uh, drawing a painting on a cave wall, uh, and then there's the invention of the art critic right after, which is uh, him uh, peeing on the on on the drawing that's on the wall right so I, and i think that that is uh just you know kind of ubiquitous to art i think the conversations you know are are somewhat different right you know so there's a difference i think between um you know uh art qua art uh and art as entertainment i think that most critics though uh are are willing to evaluate a movie based on what or piece of art based on what it is attempting to be Right. So, you know, so based on, you know, Super Mario Brothers is not attempting to be, uh, you know, Oscar bait. Right. It is it, maybe it'll get nominated for best animated uh, movie. Who knows? Like it is not unlikely um, just based on like the, you know, the the quantity of animated movies that get put out. But it's but it's not intending to be high art. Right. And I think everybody can recognize that. So, I you know, the, the critic reviews that I read said, OK, you know, we're, we want to evaluate this just on, you know, is this satisfying entertainment and and i think that uh even on those merits i give the critics uh uh credit you know saying like i and and your your reaction i think is is telling about that right that that yes it was entertaining uh could it have been better yes it could have been better could it have been funnier yes it could have been funnier could it have uh uh you know uh a, 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 adapted this IP existing IP more 
creatively uh, in a way that respected both the, you know, the, the, the adults and the kids in the audience. Yes, it could have. And I think that there are plenty of examples out there, uh, you know, of, of children's movies that, uh, that and family movies that respect the audience that it's, that it's going for. This is, you know, and you often ask the question, you know, did we need this movie? Right. We didn't need this movie other than the fact that like there was no other real mass market kids movies out during spring break time. And I'm glad that this was there because I otherwise wouldn't have known what to do with my kids for an afternoon. And um, Nintendo saw that Sega made millions of dollars with the Sonic movies. And, and my said, kids loved the Sonic movies, too. My kids yeah. loved the Sonic movies and had never played Sonic before. Right. And they were um, also pretty dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Um, uh, so, uh, my, so anyway, my, uh, uh, but I think that the question you're asking, you know, related to, uh, how, how this, uh, applies to what we strive to do in, in the Jewish community is, is a really good question. I think that there's two dimensions of it. You know, one is, uh, my, my teacher, uh, Rabbi Ed Feinstein, uh, said to us, we, you know, he was talking with us about Hanukkah and he said, listen, You've been to rabbinical school for five years. You know, uh, uh, as you know, someone steeped in the tradition that Hanukkah is a you know minor holiday uh, that is problematic on a number of levels because of the history and you know so on and so forth. Um, but for your congregation, for your congregants, for most Jews out there, for most people out there in, in America at least, Hanukkah and maybe in, in Israel too, Hanukkah is major, right? Hanukkah is a major holiday hanukkah is like a high holiday for american jews right um, so so the question is you know uh in this sort of like elite versus uh um you know mass divide between uh between like the rabbis and the rest of the jewish community what do you do with something like hanukkah do you uh do you you know kind of like take a, a an elite perspective on it and try to disabuse the masses of the notion that this is something that they should care about uh and try to redirect them to the things that they ought to care about more at least from a traditional perspective like Shavuot where like nobody comes to shul nobody celebrates nobody observes uh because from the from Jewish tradition's perspective that's a high holiday right um or and Revelation is a lot more important, I would argue. Right. Right. Or do you try to, uh, you know, infuse what the masses care about with as much depth and meaning as possible? Uh, or do you try to do both, right, simultaneously? Uh, and uh, can you do both simultaneously? That That's, I think, a question of something like Mario, Super Mario Brothers. Like, can you cater to the desires of the masses and also elevate it in some way. Um, uh, you know, so can you do, you know, what people might call pediatric, can you do Judaism that appeals to, to, to kids and families um, in a way that actually uh, uh, respects them, respects their intelligence, doesn't just like make Judaism a puppet show, uh, or if it makes it a puppet show, uh, uh, gives it, you know, makes it, uh, you know, the Muppet movie rather than, um, I don't know, uh, name some other puppet show that's not that's not so highbrow um sharon lois and bram or um no Ooh, what, what, i don't know about that i'm gonna what, what's 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 uh lamb chop yeah i was that that popped into my head but i think that there are people who would fight you on that <laughs> you, you know it got me thinking about our, our passover satyrs this this past year uh and this was the first time because all of the children my children and my nieces and nephews are old enough 
uh, and knowledgeable enough in their own Jewish education that they can really engage in the Magid section, asking questions. They've studied different Mishnayot, uh, uh, and they really could dig deep. They, they've studied the, the, the Tanakh and can really dig deep in the conversation. Uh, my rabbinic colleague at Bethel um, has really successfully expanded our community Seder at Bethel, and it's the largest it's ever been. We had over 120 people at our community Seder this year. Uh, and, and though for the first time, there's this dichotomy among older adults who chose a community Seder uh, and young families who chose a community Seder. Uh, and it was clear that young families are, are looking for a different experience in the Seder than adults are looking. And we've asked the question, should we have two different community Seder experiences going forward? One that caters towards young children and one that caters towards adults, because I don't think if you have a Seder that's catered towards young children, it could be intellectually meaningful for adults. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a debate during the Magid section about is the, 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 the wicked child really wicked? Is the wise child really wise? Right? Uh, what made Moses flee? And why was Aaron cast out? And why do we have the 10 plagues? Uh, and um, why do we put the blood on the doorpost and have these these great textual conversations? Well, we don't have kids that are whining and complaining because they're hungry and they, they want to, you know, get to the, the Hillel sandwich already and, and get to the meal. Um, can we cater to both? Or can we say this Seder is Super Mario Brothers and this Seder is going to be The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Um, hopefully mi minus the we're the 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 fungus uh connection between the two, but but minus the 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 zombie pandemic caused by by fungus. I, I don't think it, one needs to be to, to do both simultaneously. Do we have multiple different offerings to meet different people's needs? Well, I, I mean, you're, you're getting into a really good question because, you know, in, in, in our community, in our congregation, we have the same you know conversations and the same debates because the, the same challenges exist. And then the, the flip side that people often bring up is, you know, but we don't want to divide the community, right? We want, uh, there's value in bringing the community together, you know, intergenerationally across generations and having an experience for, for all and for everyone. And, and granted, you know, that is a, a, a meaningful value, a meaningful value to aspire to. It's, I mean, it's a contradiction embedded in the Seder itself, right? The Seder is, is modeled on the Greco-Roman symposia, uh, which is uh, which, which is an, an adult gathering, right? An adult gathering of a of a wine feast where you have deep philosophical conversations uh, over over lots of drinking and lots of food, right? Um, and also the seder uh, tries to wet, you know, the rabbis who who you know adopt this model try to shoehorn in this um, uh, repeated commandment or repeated. Uh, idea in in the Torah that he got into Labincha, or you know, they, or your children will ask you on that day, you know, what 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 what, what was this or what is this, right? You got to tell your children about this. So so the rabbis then make uh, all sorts of uh, innovations for the seder to engage children. But it but I I get I grant you, like I, I agree, it's it is really really hard, maybe impossible to to do both of those things um, uh, particularly well at the same time. And the um, way to engage children and, you know, uh, right, 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 right. And the, the, uh, chapter of Mishnah that, that talks about the Seder 
uh, is very different than the way we engage children now. So much so that, that we have, you know, in a very odd and uncomfortable way, plague finger puppets or, or you know, frog toys on the Seder table or, or something like that, uh, where to me, it's really a conversation of plagues is a difficult, you know, conversation to have. And were there innocent bystanders that were punished as a result in, in that conversation? Well, I think I think what you're pointing to here is you know, there are two kind of approaches uh, that have uh, I don't think anybody has spent a lot of time talking about this in an explicit way. And so maybe this is an opportunity to right? the way I see it. There are really, you know, kind of two uh, uh, innovation models that have been put forth for uh, 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 conventional congregations uh, for, for renewal over the last uh, I don't know, decade, let's say. Right. Um, one I'll call the spirituality of welcoming, borrowing the title of Ron Wolfson's uh, book and uh, his subsequent book, uh, um, the um, relational Judaism, which is an outgrowth of that. Um, so you know, a, a Judaism that you know lowers the bars of entry, makes sure that the doors are wide open, the tent is as expansive as possible, that everybody feels you know comfortable, engaged. Um, you know, uh, just like happy to be there, right? That the Disneyfication of of Jewish experience, and then the other I would call uh, borrowing the title of Ellie Confer's book uh, from Hadar, Empowered Judaism, um, which you know Hadar also does some work of uh, you know engaging kids. So I don't want to necessarily make that such a stark dichotomy, but it's but it's a very uh, high bar for entry kind of Judaism. We want to like raise the standards. Um, so that uh, because that, you know, will we'll, uh, when you raise the standards, people will think that like, hey, this is something that like is meaningful and, and important. Like uh, this is something I need to aspire to, um, that it's that it's worth pursuing, um, that it's not, you know, just pediatric. Um, and, and, and I wonder if those two things um, can exist side by side. Can, you know, can it can one congregation um employ both of those models successfully or do you have to choose one and if you choose one um are you sacrificing the potential gains that you could make by uh, having embraced the other yeah uh we actually had rabbi ali converse speak at bethel uh, recently and it's wonderful to learn from him we, we have a great relationship with some of the hadara programs specifically project zug i think hadar wouldn't work outside of a major metropolitan area um, where there's a large Jewish population and there are many different opportunities. I think in large Jewish communities, you can uh, be very specific and explicit about who you are and who you want to be and um, the type of Jew you're marketing to and the type of Jewish education uh, content you're putting out there. I think in smaller Jewish communities, uh, it is the responsibility of the synagogue to be much more of an umbrella organization um, because uh, you may be the only game in town uh, and you need to meet as many diverse needs as possible uh, because there aren't other options. If I don't, if I'm living in the Upper West Side and I don't choose Hadar, I have dozens of other synagogues to choose from. I have dozens of other teaching opportunities and learning opportunities to choose from. Um, that, that's not the case in uh, a place like Tulsa, Oklahoma, for example. Yeah, I, you know, I, 
it's it's really tough because uh, at the same time, uh, I, I get the argument of the you know empowered Judaism camp, uh, which says, okay, you know, once the people feel you know welcome and at home in in those Jewish spaces, um, what's next for them? Right. Um, and, and and it's the argument of, you know, the, the, the many, many people who many of whom you and I you know, know and love uh, who have left the conservative movement uh, for uh, more uh, deeply engaged and learned communities uh, because uh, because their sense is that there's nothing you know, there's nothing within uh, conservative congregations for them to graduate into. Right. It's all it, 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 it stops at the uh, at 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 the at the welcoming approach right it it sure. stops at um you know let's just make sure everybody feels as comfortable as possible without expecting anything of anybody without demanding anything of anybody and so the people who become you know more who actually like for whom that works right like you've got me in you've got me hooked i actually like love judaism now i want to get more engaged more involved then there's nothing for those people there. I, I experience this now within my community too. Not only within for my for the kids in my in, in my congregation, but for the conversion students, right? Who who uh, in some ways, you know, are I I, have, I do a lot of conversions here in, in Richmond. That's a whole other you know dissertation to write. Um, but uh, a, a lot of folks, you know, come uh, come to me because we have what uh, they report. Uh, I'm not trying to toot my horn or about this, uh, but they say like this is a, a community where I felt you know really welcome. Like the first right. time I walked in, um, I didn't know anything about Judaism. I just like thought that might be worth exploring. So I came and and people really embraced me. It was an open, welcoming community. I felt really at home. And then they, you know, go through the journey of conversion. They learn, they, they, you know, start becoming a Shabbat regular. They're, they're davening on their own. They're keeping kosher. They're trying to keep Shabbos. And like, there's no people who like live in, I mean, there's very few people who live in walking distance of my congregation for them to have Shabbos dinner with, right? There, there's, there's no like real davening culture. Uh, um, uh, I mean, the, there is, but not the kind that they have grown to really want, you know, of, of people who are like, as invested in it and, and take it as seriously as they do. And so some of them, you know, then start like looking outside. They're like, okay, well, you know, maybe I need to go to the Orthodox community because like, at least there, there are more people who, who take this, you know, really seriously. Um, and, and for the most part, the members of my congregation, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to denigrate any of them, but, uh, but, but the seriousness and commitment with which they approach their Jewish lives is not as holistic as, you know, some of, uh, some of these, uh, uh, Jews by choice, right? So, um, uh, you know, so it, it is a real challenge and, and it is hard to, to actually accomplish both. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've started doing uh, as part of a Shabbat gateways program is understanding that there are multiple desires and ways to connect to davening um and we are offering uh multiple entry points on shabbat morning uh some shabbatot that is a what we call a uh or nashir service which involves a, a more complete davening uh shabbat service um with um potentially nigunim and melodies that those who are from uh, more traditional communities may be more familiar with, uh, that has a repetition of the Amidah, that offers a full Kriya of the Torah reading instead of a triennial uh, reading. But it's the idea that we 
want to um, say that there's just not one way to connect. At the flip side, we also offer meditation services and, and yoga on Shabbat morning and learner's minyanim on Shabbat morning because it shouldn't be one size fits all Jewish community. Um, but I, I also understand that you need to have the buy-in from members of your community, the desire from members of your community, the resources both from a uh, professional staffing side of things and a volunteer lay leader side of things to to make that happen. And not all communities are able to do that. Um, I, I would argue that in certain parts of the country, it's more needed than ever before. Separate from programming that we offer, I feel that I am much more comfortable in Essex County, New Jersey, where there's a plethora of synagogues and Jewish community saying that even though we are welcoming and inclusive, we take a stance on certain issues instead of what I think many of our conservative colleagues are guilty of, sort of waffling uh, uh, and trying to say, we are centrist, we are middle, uh, w- w- because we don't want to upset anybody on the left or, or the right. No, we have we we believe that Judaism stands for something right. and tells us something. And it's okay that others disagree with us um, because there are many entry points to, to Judaism and Jewish community in, in the area. We don't, don't have to be all to everybody all the time, but that's different than helping people connect in different ways to Judaism and and, and Jewish community. I think what the Super Mario Brothers movie does is say, we are not going to be all in in everything. They also know well that a kid can't see this movie without their parents, so the parents still buy the ticket, which is why not only was it the the most successful uh, video game adaption movie of all time, it had the largest opening weekend globally for any animated film ever beating out Frozen 2. Uh, part of that was the global market in, in Asia uh, and Japan of the, the Nintendo products and, and franchises. Always but, glad to knock Frozen 2 off its perch. Uh, I know, I know. I, I'm a big fan of the Frozen 2 music. Um, but I, I think that that's worth considering, right? We offer plenty of young family programming. And for many Adults, that is their entry point in the Jewish community, that their lens into Jewish community is through their children, through wanting to teach their children about Shabbat, wanting to provide a Jewish education for their children. And that is a perfectly common and acceptable entry point in the Jewish community. My role and responsibility as a parent to educate my children is why I'm there. Not necessarily because I'm interested for myself, but because I believe I have a responsibility as a parent to connect my children. Right. But, the, you know, the, the, the flip side of it uh, is, you know, what what the Super Mario Brothers movie traffics in uh, is, you know, a lot of nostalgia for nostalgia's sake uh, and um, and, you know, uh, 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 entertainment for, you know, for, for pastime's sake. Right. And and I think that from, you know, from my perspective, I, I you know, I, I think that we've 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 kind of become a society you know, sort of predicted by. Uh, Nirvana, right? Here we are now. Entertain us, uh, and 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 we judge everything by its entertainment value, uh, and uh, and I think that that's really uh, challenging for uh, for 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 religious communities, for 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 our Jewish communities, right? And Judaism um, is is not about 
passing the time. It's not about entertainment. And while there is certainly a, an element of Judaism that is about historical memory and you know the the, the fondness of our connection for uh, to, to to tradition and heritage and, and past things. Um, I, I think that there's a real danger. I experience it all the time in the sort of nostalgia, uh, the nostalgia business of religion. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, people people, you know, just just want to play the hits and uh, and and get upset when, you know, something uh, new is introduced uh, or when, you know, or when a, a stand is taken uh, that is uh, that that may be from, you know, from uh, someone who more deeply understands the tradition, um, a, 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 a real authentic position, maybe the authentic position within the tradition, but it's not the one I grew up with. Right. So, um, so therefore you, you're, 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 uh, you're alienating me because of it. So I think that there's that, that still presents a real, uh, a, a real challenge I, that the, you know, the bringing families in through engaging kids uh, in a way that also then engages the parents without uh making uh, a religion that is you know um has no nutritional value um and is only about the warm fuzzy feeling you get from recognizing something you already know and actually about the discomfort that comes with uh encountering something that you don't yet know i think nostalgia is important uh for many people that especially when we look at holidays like passover and the pesach seder uh nostalgia is a, is a key element to people's experiences uh, but if we only focus on nostalgia and, and not Jewish continuity, then then Judaism and Jewish communities cease to exist. Uh, we need to meet people's needs, meet them where they are, and understand. That's what this whole, I mean, podcast is about. It's not just because we we are pop culture fanboys, but we're trying to find ways to help people connect to Torah uh, and to lessons of Torah and to create as many entry points as possible um, and understand that Society impacts religion and religion impacts society, even though we live in a world where we claim to have a separation of church and state. What does that mean? That means that the Judaism of today looks totally different than the Judaism of 17th century Poland or, or, or 12th century Spain. But it also actually the Judaism in 2023 South Orange, New Jersey looks very different than the Judaism of 1995 South Orange, New Jersey. Right. But I think there's a difference between the ways in which we meet people where they are. Right. So I think that Super Mario Brothers movie is a really good example. Like it's meeting the audience where it is. Right. It's meeting the parents desire for Mario nostalgia, kids desire for minion style humor. Right. And uh, and that's where the audience is. Um, but like compare that to, say, something like, you know, Moana. Or the Lion King, going back to something from from our childhood, um, that's another example of meeting the audience where it is. Like growing up, I definitely did not feel like I mean, I was I was the right target age for the Lion King when it when it came out, right? And I loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, and uh, so it met me where where I was. It meets kids where they are, but also um, uh, is elevated. Too right, it, it it also kind of respects them enough to say, you know, uh, where where you are also has a need for uh, uh, for uh, you know for for learning about the world through art, right? Uh, learning about uh, pain through art, uh, uh, learning about sadness and grief through art and growth through art, right? So we have that deep human need too. Mario just sees the need for 
the the you know the the childhood need for you know escapist laughter, which is fine. I have no you know problem with that per se. Um, but I think that I mean, that's it, what we do on Purim every year, right? Um, yeah, but I think that there's a, again, right? I think you have a different ways of approaching Purim. Like you can approach Purim in the Super Mario Brothers way, or you can approach Purim in the Lion King way, and 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 both you know uh, uh, have space for humor and silliness. Um, but one has depth and the other does not. Yeah, but I'm not going to take my uh, my six year old is experiencing Purim through me uh, my notes. And through Purim carnivals and through shouting at the top of her lungs with Gragar in hand when she hears Haman's voice. Uh, and uh, as a teenager, I was introduced to some of the more sexually explicit nature of Megillat Esther. And as a 16-year-old, thought that was awesome. And as an adult, I grapple with the idea of, wow. Uh, why do we read through this end of the Megillah where we Jews actually end up murdering tens of thousands of, of, of people in response to what Haman tried to do to us? The more also, as my part- sister pointed out to me uh, earlier this year, uh, Esther was human trafficked, right? Yes. And <laughs> right. also as an adult, at Bethel, we throw one hell of a Purim party, right? Because there is a sense of... of, of silliness and debauchery as an adult as well that that we need to tap into at times. Uh, So I I do think that there are times when uh, each um, experience is appropriate, age appropriate. um, And I write the Purim Carnival is not meant for me as an adult. It's meant for me as a parent to bring my child. uh, and, And that's okay. Uh, and the synagogue then ha- has a role and responsibility to provide a different experience for me as an adult, separate from my role as a parent, separate from my relationship with my children. They don't have to be the same experiences or the same events simultaneously. Super Mario Brothers, I paid money for it as an adult because I had children that I was taking to. It was not, if I paid money solely as an adult uh, to get an adult experience out of it without the, my children and without seeing it through the ends of my the lens of my children and through the eyes of my children, I'd be disappointed. Uh, nostalgia aside, and my appreciation of Super Mario Brothers aside, my love of, of Jack Black and Tenacious D music aside. Right. I, I. But I guess again, the question is, you know, uh, uh, can 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 it be both? Right. Can uh, uh, can the Purim Carnival uh, also? Uh, uh, work for parents, uh, and, and, you know. And the other, the other piece of it is, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the things that that actually encouraged my Jewish journey uh, uh, is that I saw that there were aspects of uh, growing up. I saw that there were aspects of Judaism um, that were for adults only, uh, and that was intriguing to me. Right? That uh, that like I was, you know, shooed out during Yizker. Right. Um, uh, you know, and uh, and that, um, uh, you know, I wasn't fasting on Yom Kippur right until I reached a, a certain age. Right. Uh, that uh, that that I in my in my synagogue growing up. Right. Um, uh, I when I was, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11, I got to hold like we didn't have for whatever reason. I don't know. We didn't have like the places where you hold the Torah scroll uh, after you lift it up and dress it. Uh, so I held the Torah scroll and sat on the bima. That was a huge deal for me as a 10-year-old, but that was like really the only uh, uh, 
child uh, uh, honor that was that that anybody was able to have. And I only got it because my grandfather was, you know, the vice president at the time of the shul and the president of the shul. So I was like, you know, I got sort of a, a special dispensation. But we didn't, you know, our synagogue growing up uh, is um, one of my uh, predecessors at my previous uh, shul, uh, Rabbi Gerald Wolpe of, of Blessed Memory, uh, once said uh, some, you know, somewhere in the 70s or 80s, it's like, we don't do cute at Har Zion, right? And in my synagogue growing up, like they didn't do cute, uh, meaning that like the that leading services, roles on the bima, like things like that, those were reserved exclusively for adults. Now, again, there are arguments against that, um, some of which I now make myself, right? That we should definitely include more more kids as part of the sort of the, the it should be their space too. But one of the things that it did to me, for me, was say, huh, you know, that 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 like it makes Judaism something kind of serious too. Right, that there's something to to grow into, to aspire to. Yeah, but it's about participation, but it's also about presence, mm -hmm. right? Um, there are synagogues, and again, I'm not trying to toot our own horn about what what we do, but there are synagogues that, with regards to children's presence in the sanctuary, not participation, presence, uh, are, are antithetical and um, the opposite of what we do, right? So. Uh, I, growing up, I was shushed if I was running up and down the aisles, mm -hmm. right. right? We have a section in the back of our sanctuary full of kids' toys, and those toys are loud toys. Uh, you could dump out a, a bin full of Lego toys, and Lego blocks make a lot of noise uh, when, when there's sort of that waterfall of, of blocks dumping out of the bin. We have kids running on the Bima regularly, uh, not just when we throw candy at the B'nai Mitzvah, but when the kid comes in from our mini minion service and they say, hey, Rabbi, I didn't get any candy. Do you have any more? Even though I'm in the middle of making announcements or something like that. And kids feel totally comfortable in our space. And I think that's a beautiful thing. There are plenty of synagogues or, or plenty of adults who are so happy that their kids feel comfortable and tell me that when they were kids, they were told that the sanctuary is not a place for children. Um, and, and it's not that uh, there shouldn't be a place for adults. It's not that Judaism shouldn't be uh, serious and profound and, and intellectual uh, and meaningful and spiritual, but it's that if kids don't feel welcome and feel a connection to Judaism as children, then you better believe when they're 13 years old, they're not going to want to stay involved in the Jewish community and they're not going to uh, look for joyful Jewish experiences as a teenager and then as a young adult. You know, I think that I think that there's a, a, a balance. I, I mean, we we we've worked really hard to make uh, our, uh, our our sanctuary a space uh, like uh, just as you did. It's been a, it's a journey for the congregation. Uh, you know, and, and some people are still uh, at different places of that journey about how they feel about uh, children's uh, noise and children's voices in in the sanctuary. Uh, despite you know ten years of very concerted efforts to uh, disabuse them of of their previous notions. Um, but but I I do actually think that it's a little bit more complicated than than you're suggesting. I'm not I'm not sure that just uh, that uh, it's 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 it feels to me uh, that the opposite is also possibly true, right? That that when when children uh, uh, see that actually you know the this this sanctuary space is not a playground, um, and that there's there's that that, that there's. Uh, that it requires a degree of uh, solemnity, right? That um, uh, that there is uh, that that sacred space is different, 
right? Uh, and and it and it requires a different sort of attitude and, and atmosphere. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm I'm actually not sure that that's detrimental uh, to uh, to to kids, you know, future uh, involvement in Judaism. I think that someone like Ali Comfer might say, uh, I'm not, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he might say. No, actually, like that's that's ideal. Like you want kids to be able to see that uh, that davening is serious, uh, and uh, and 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 there are adults who take it seriously, and and if you you know and and uh, that's something to aspire to. So I it, it's I think it's complicated. Yeah, because if we only look at our relationship with God as Yirah and Yirat Shemayim, right? That then uh, it's not about an awesomeness; it's about a fear. Uh, that that too many you know sort of see, and, and then we forget about right our our obligation of right to to be joyful in our in our celebration experiences. Uh, davening is supposed to be serious and it's supposed to be joyful. Uh, that holiday celebrations are supposed to be meaningful and spiritual and joyful. And if Judaism is not joyful then it, it's easy for us as, as rabbis to still appreciate them, to have an understanding of, of halakha and obligation, yada, yada, yada. Right. But, but, but if Judaism is not joyful, then we're not going to have communities to serve and, and, and people who make up those communities if uh, people aren't finding joy in Jewish experience. So uh, what are you hoping for from the inevitable Super Mario Brothers movie sequel? joy um i i actually worry that they ran out of all the easter eggs after the first movie uh and, and there's nobody left give credit to sonic right because sonic has enough of these weird hedgehog like alien creatures that they can introduce them right they introduce tails and knuckles in the sequel and they they previewed in the post credit scene for sonic 3 um I don't even know his, my, my son, Shadow, I think is his name. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know they introduced Yoshi and I guess maybe they can introduce still Wario and Wali, Waluigi or whatever his name is. Uh, but I, I think they, they went too quickly to the Easter egg front too soon. Like I would have loved to have a full movie exploring um, the, the sort of Donkey Kong country uh, universe more uh, instead of using that as a backdrop for the Super Smash Brothers fight scene and only a brief shout out to Diddy Kong like he was some Rob Schneider character in the background of an Adam Sandler movie. Well, listen, I, I think all that's coming, right? So I, I I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a you know spinoff series of the Donkey Kong you know universe. Uh, and you know the, the, that it's setting up all, all those things that you know Diddy Kong is obviously set up to have a have more role in future movies. Uh, uh, but uh, but but uh, you, when you get into the Smash Brothers uh, um, uh, universe of it, there's all those uh, uh, Nintendo characters, uh, Link uh, and uh, whatever the Metroid character is, and. Uh, um Kirby. Kirby and Pikachu and you know so anyway the, the, those the I, I suspect that, that all of those things are coming personally I would love to see um a, a few things in the next movie you know one is um let's see if we can get a little bit more um a complexity to the story a little bit more uh, color and richness to these characters uh you know real real conflict uh that that takes place but I'd be happy to see more of Jack Black 
Uh, I'd be happy to see less of Chris Pratt. That's just a general rule. I'd be happy to see less of Chris Pratt. Um, I would be happy to see more Luigi. Wario would be a great addition. Um, I want to see some more Goombas, you know, the like mushroom creatures that you yeah. that are like the first villains that you have to stomp on in the yeah. Super Mario Brothers game. Let's see some Goombas. Uh, where were they? Also, I love the way that the uh, composer brought in, you know, some of the classic Mario music. Uh, but to me, I need to hear more of the no, 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 the the, the, du the dungeon music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the do 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 to to the the box office because super mario brothers movie made a killing let us know what you thought and why your children may have enjoyed it even if you did not uh, and until next time i am rabbi jesse olitsky and i'm rabbi michael knopf grab those stars and climb that uh flagpole or whatever mario does at the end of every level and we'll see you next time jumps on the flagpole